Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsikter and is ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, happy impeachment week. Impeachment inquiry week. I, I'm trying not to count my chickens. Yes. Um, before they um, impeach. Uh, so I'm just, I'm always correcting everyone when they say impeachment. I'm just like, no, no, we have an impeachment inquiry. We do not have an impeachment. So please stop saying that. But I was also the person who everyone was like, happy millennium. And I just went, the millennium doesn't start until 2001. So let's let's stop saying that in 1999. And then people stop talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also I'm very aware that impeachment, uh, if and or when it happens, is also not removal from office. They're very different right. things. So like, yes. Yeah. But uh, still, it's been it's been a delicious week for me. Uh, and, and you know what I gotta say? This most recent round of of politics uh, and and news on this front has been way more readable at your laptop than the last yeah. round. So it's been yeah. very easy to follow. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, James Poniewozik's tweet about you know Watergate and to then was you know they just released one episode at a time and you could follow it real easy but now they just dump it and you have to binge it all at once it's very <laughs> irritating but also this is just a lot simpler to deal with yes that is that, that is true that is very true um this week there was a bunch of tv because a bunch of premieres all debuted we're going to have a bunch of them um in our week in tv we are going to skip the ones that we previewed in our um, fall network tv previews the ones that we had both seen so nbc stuff basically um and the cbs stuff that uh that you talked about most we're mostly we're gonna skip but we're gonna talk about a bunch of other things so there's lots of tv i do want to mention that we got a little, little listener feedback from vince who uh tweeted out that uh, i just saw the results of the emmy awards and i have a feeling the televerse is pretty happy with it i'm actually a bit surprised ms mazel got as many awards as it did i thought the season was good but not all that spectacular i found sex education to be way, way more memorable um and i didn't watch mrs mazel uh th- that season so i can't speak to that um but i'm much more interested in sex education personally um i i I will say that the people who won awards for mazel are i mean i've appreciated their work over the years so i was like yeah they're good i mean i can't speak to whether they are i thought they deserved it because i didn't see those episodes but they're talented and i wish somebody else had won but they're good too sort of how i felt about those those awards i have no idea what mrs mazel won because i i didn't watch the Emmys or ah. even look at results. Supporting actor, Tony Shalhoub. Supporting okay. actress, Alex Borstein. And some other stuff too. Oh, okay. I mean, both of those feel okay to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Borstein did a really good speech about um, her her grandmother who survived the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, and so it was It was a nice, uh, there, there were some, some, some good moves. And Shalhoub did a comedic bit about all the, so many people he had to thank and just listed off. Amy and Dan Sherman Palladino a bunch of times, which was a, a good bit. Um, but yeah, no, the the news from the Emmys, of course, is that Fleabag won a bunch of things. Right. We've got shout out for a bunch of things and Game of Thrones won a bunch of things, but not everything. And uh, Dinklage won for actor 
uh, supporting actor, I think, and um, they won best drama. Uh, but some of the other people won. Kimmy from the Americans won for Ozark. Um, the actress I don't remember her name, but I, I, I believe it's Kimmy, right? It's the same actress who is so wonderful on the Americans, which is a show that you you don't watch. Um, listeners, let me know. I think I got that right. Uh, but she's certainly a very talented actress. She got supporting actress. I think the all of the Game of Thrones people split the vote because there were I think there were four Game of Thrones nominees or at least three. Um, yeah, so that was a surprise, <laughs> but it certainly was interesting. Um, and just the, the awards themselves were really boring and not good. Like, it was a bad telecast. Um, but Billy Porter won, so that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I saw that, and, like, I did, like, try to go to Fox's YouTube page to watch, like, speeches, but Fox was like, nah, you don't need to watch speeches. It's okay. <laughs> we really don't want any ratings. <laughs> I, but I, I was just like, but I want to watch the speeches. That's what I, that's what I want to watch. I mean, I appreciate Colbert and Kimmel coming out and complaining about a lack of a host. That was okay. Um, but it's just, but I came here for speeches and not a really awkward, poorly rehearsed Ben Stiller bit about Bob Newhart being dead. Yeah. And I mean, Newhart's always funny, but still. Right. But that's the thing is like, I, even that felt often not rehearsed because it's mm-hmm. just like, this is a good Newhart bit that doesn't feel like a good Newhart bit. <laughs> and Newhart's in it. And I'm concerned about everyone. Yeah. I enjoyed all the tweets I was seeing about people going like, oh, they should, they should, you know, back up Brink's truck up and, and pay Tina Fey. Or they should get, they should have got, see, look how great Maya Rudolph is with, the, you know, in her, her bit. Or look how great Catherine O'Hara and Amy Poehler is. They should have had them do it. It's like, guys, guys. These people don't want to host it. Right. No, they don't. It's not that it's not that they're like, we're not willing to give Tina Fey money. It's that Tina Fey's like, oh, no, I'm good. I have all of my millions. I really don't need this. And I really don't want this. Um, yeah. So, and yeah. They don't even have the budget to give people Brinks trucks. You get paid what you get paid for these things. Mm-hmm. And you can't really negotiate anything higher. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for them because it only gets a certain ratings number. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought, but I thought that was like precious. <laughs> I was like, no, oh no, it's not that they like, no, 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 it's just that it's not worth it. the amount they would have to pay them would never be financially feasible f- for the for Fox, and yeah. it's because they don't want to do it. It's not because you know people aren't willing to to hire these very funny ladies. So at least that's my read of the situation. Um, but goodness knows I would tune in for a, uh, for a John Hamm hosted Emmys, as people were saying, or certainly a Maya Rudolph hosted Emmys. Please, 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 Maya Rudolph in all of the hosting gigs. But yeah, the awards themselves were like, I was just watching this going like, this is not good. This is a really, like, I can't remember the last time the, the actual like award telecast was this bad. So, um, some of the winners, yay. Some of the winners, eh. But mostly, yay, Fleabag has a bunch of awards. And that means Phoebe Waller-Bridge was, I'm sure that helped with her negotiations of her $20 million Amazon deal. Probably did. Um, yeah, it probably, probably did. Though I, I also appreciated Bradley Whitford, who won Creative Arts Emmys mm-hmm. uh, for guest role for Handmaids, basically being like, this award is nice, but it also doesn't mean anything because the Hot Priest didn't get nominated. If you're not up <laughs> against Hot Priest, you aren't really... You're not really competing. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this <laughs> this week in TV, like I said, we're going to do a bunch of premieres. At the end of the show, we are going to do our spotlight segment on Unbelievable, which is the Netflix miniseries that we talked a little bit about last week. We've been excited about that one for uh, you know at least a month or so. So that's coming at the end of the show. But let's listen to a little Blondie little heart of glass and take a break and come back with our week in tv because uh, we got yeah we got to dive in lots of shows to talk about so we'll be right back after this That was Blondie's Heart of Glass, which was featured in the pilot or premiere of Stumptown on, I want to say, ABC? Is that ABC? That is correct. ABC. ABC. Yay. Um, this week in TV, we're going to kick things off with the comedies. Um, first, Mixed Dish, which had its uh, premiere, Becoming Bo, and then I'll talk a little bit about the Blackish premiere, Pops the Question. Then we'll talk the Good Place premiere, A Girl from Arizona, Part 1, and the Superstore premiere, Cloud 9.0, before Noel takes it away with the Mom premiere, Audrey Hepburn, and a Jalapeno Pepper. Um, then I'll talk just very briefly about Criminal on Netflix, and we'll move over to Emergence, which had its pilot and then of course stump down uh, which had its, its pilot forget it decks it's stumped down <laughs> and we'll round things out uh, with of course the great british bake-off great british baking show dairy week so uh lots of thoughts on that but first up are the comedies so mixed dish had its premiere i seriously know i cannot stress to you the number of times that the ad when i was streaming youtube and like going down a spiral of that for hours was mixed dish like i've seen that mixed dish like 15 second ad like a hundred times in the past two weeks. It's, it was so annoying. Um, I, that almost was enough to turn me off the, the premiere, but in general, I just thought it was like, Oh, this is solid. And I, I'm not invested yet, but I'm not turned off by it either. And I feel like there could be some fun here. Um, I was hoping to be more excited. I certainly was more excited for the Gronish premiere than I am this one, but like considering how like irritatingly, like, present it was in my consciousness that this was coming up um and not for good reasons um i thought it was a solid premiere what did you think i do think it's solid um i generally think that the best things about it is the really good casting of the kids who all feel very much like younger versions of their adult characters as played by those actors um, and the other thing I really appreciated was line deliveries from both the young woman playing Bo and the woman playing her mom and how much they would occasionally slide into Tracy Ellis Ross-esque deliveries, um, which I really, really appreciated. Um, and I really liked that aspect of it. The rest of it's kind of fine. I think that there's a lot of um, pilotitis in this of r- really constantly hitting home the premise over and over again. <laughs> Um, which I was got over very, very quickly. Um, but I also can appreciate any show that just kind of lets Gary Cole off a leash. 
<laughs> um, and they really let him, they just give him so much space to do everything that it's great, but it also feels very weirdly distracting in this show, at least in this pilot of this is, it really drives home how very different he is from everyone else on the show in a way that I don't get with um, Bo's mom's mom or their, yeah, Bo's the mom's sister. Mom. Yeah. The sister, right. Um, the aunt who feels, I think, more a piece of this show than Gary Cole's character does. Um, but at the same time, I really enjoy Gary Cole. I really like his kind of energy, like his delivery of, I don't do Coke. I am Coke. I do Coke. It was, <laughs> was really good. It was very, very good. And so I think that there's plenty of potential here. Um, but I don't know how like compelled I am to keep going at the same time either. Mm-hmm. It's sort of my thing. Like it's good, but it doesn't feel quite motivatingly essential. Yeah, I don't think I laughed out loud watching it. Yeah. And I definitely did at least chuckle at the unicorn. Um, so, you know. There is definitely a show, a new show that I laughed at more this year. Um, it, you're right; it does have pilotitis. Like it, it really feels like. And here's one side of the spectrum. Here's you know, yeah. like the, like we're showing the the parents, both parents, right, have this special place for her, of course. But to highlight the black white con- like divide that they are feeling, the kids are feeling as as you know, mixed race children in the '80s. Let's have Gary Cole be like the super white guy, and we'll have the aunt be the super black lady and it like (laughs) perhaps because the Bo's father's character rebelled so strongly against his father you know obviously that's what makes him stick out whereas there's obviously differences between Bo's mom and her sister but it's less of a direct rejection of that identity and culture um he does stick out a lot more but um yeah, it it felt very paint by numbers for this is like, and then we'll have we'll have one person from each of their families, not like fully fleshed lives, not like an actual world that they're coming into, but like one representative of each. Um, so yeah, it it is not as immersive as I would hope from a for a, for a new show. Even I mean, granted, new shows take a while to find their feet, but because this is coming from pre existing characters, you kind of at least I kind of expect a little more. From it, the, yeah. the characters are should be a little more fleshed out, and it, that doesn't feel like that's the case. However, I do absolutely agree. The kids, the casting for the kids is good, but like, like, oh, it's little baby to be digs. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. he is gonna grow up to sip wine. <laughs> you feel that so quickly that I really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I said the re- recording, so it's likely or I'll stick with this for a while. But mm-hmm. uh, I will be interested to see if it stays in that position for me or if it slides off my radar yeah. uh, blackish had its premiere which i watched because i set the recording and it's all about pops uh getting engaged um and to loretta divine oh nice now right? i regret not watching this <laughs> well and he just is like a change when he's just being a better person and so the mm-hmm. contrast and the, and the tension is from wait you could have been a better person this whole time and you just chose didn't choose to like I just always, you know, Dre always just figured his dad wasn't capable of being better. And he was just like accepting him for who he was. And it's like, oh, this whole time you could have tried and you did it. And so there's some some good stuff there. Um, But yeah, no, the same frustrations that we've been having with Blackish for a while are there. So I don't know that I will continue watching, but figured I would at least check in for the premiere. They they, they have a Blackish following Mixed Dish um, on the schedule. And they opened Mixed Dish with... 
um, like a little scene from Blackish, and then yeah. going into the flashback, and then they come start the Blackish premiere with coming out of that. It's like she's telling that whole story. Uh, okay. So uh, I would imagine that won't continue, but um, no. yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, next up is The Good Place, which has premiere A Girl from Arizona Part 1. And uh, listeners, I'm assuming you've already watched this. But in case you haven't, this is time for you to skip ahead until I say, so that is definitely evil demon Ted Danson at the end. That is not Michael. Yes. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That was the whole point of, of that whole thing. Otherwise, they wouldn't have shown us have the prisoner exchange. So now I'm just wondering how long it's going to take for them to figure it out. And hopefully not too long. Um, I like I, thought, I like this premiere, but I, I um, I'm ready. <laughs> like, I'm already ready for them to reboot again. <laughs> I don't know. What yes. do you think? No, I am too. Like, I think the premiere is fine, but it's so much of it's really aggressive table setting um that i just really struggled to be into and it really only sang for me in any way shape or form when we had simone coming in and just being like you're all fake and i'm just the my brain is weird and i'm just gonna destroy things and it won't matter Mm -hmm. it was just like it was the only time that it felt like there was any real energy in the episode which was just bizarre to me from this entire show that it was just like that's where i'm getting my energy from um and so I was just, I was a little underwhelmed. And I think a lot of it just boiled down to having to establish what the premise for at least the first little bit of the season is. And then having to get to the point where we turn Chidi into the fourth human of the experiment, um, which was the other thing that this episode suffered from is not enough Chidi. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. What do you think of Derek as antagonist for Jason? And what do you think the new updated version of Derek's going to be? I'm okay with it. I think it's, I think it's like really the only way that that works because finding someone to be antagonistic towards Jason from the bad place, just, I don't know that you can do that. I don't think it'll work. Yeah. I don't think it works. Um, I think that anyone that tries to be antagonistic towards Jason or tries to unsettle Jason just loses. Mm-hmm. Or is <laughs> because just of cruel and it's not funny. Yeah. And then it's not funny. Right. So you need Derek who represents a love triangle issue instead, which is a much safer play. Plus you get Manzukas' charisma. Um, so I'm hoping it works out well, and I do appreciate how they're really playing up the stress that running this experiment is putting on Janet, which I think is really the most interesting thing in this episode is how much they really drive that home of like, no, I have to do all of this. I have to manage all of this. This is really difficult. You don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not trying to, especially, uh, especially Eleanor. Right. No, no one is. And, and plus she has to deal with the fact that Trent or Brent, or whatever his yeah. name is. Um, not Donald Trump, Trump, golf club guy. Yeah, yeah. Always <laughs> so. obnoxious, yeah. He's so good at that. Yeah, no, he is super good at that. Um, so I think it's I think it's fine, but I'm ready for them to already be in a different gear. So mm-hmm. here's hoping, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, and it took such restraint, because listeners, we have hashtag screener privilege. It did take restraint to not watch the next one. I was like, no, I'm going to wait till we talk oh, about it. Oh, is it already up? Oh, yeah, they have the first four up. Okay, I'll have to let my person know, because we didn't watch this on the screener. We watched it um, as it aired. So uh-huh. I'll, I'll poke at her and see what she wants to do. They also you know, had, of course, this week, the Superstar premiere, Cloud 9.0. And uh, what, did you, what did you think of how they you know, handled 
you know, the post, just picking up days after the finale, post Mateo getting taken away by ice, how did this balance for you? I think it balanced really, really well. I think the that you couldn't do much of a time skip, honestly. Um, and still do the, the very specific st- sort of story beats that they do in this episode. From Cheyenne's denial to um, Dina's also denial, um, like self-flagellation type of deal that was going on. And then also doing a really good follow-up to the union-busting stuff with Glenn. With one end, Glenn the Robot. Um, Uh, Glenn the Robot definitely has a microphone in him, and they're definitely listening to everything that they're saying. Yes, they are. And I'm very concerned that no one figured that out. Because, I mean, I (laughs) would have expected Jonah to be really on top of that, and no. Yeah, and so I'm just like, he has to have a camera because he needs to know where, like, spills are. Or some sort of sensor type stuff. So it's just like, there's there's a shoe waiting to drop here and everyone's too stupid to realize it, which is frustrating. Um, at the very least, Garrett should know that robots have this because he plays enough video games. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but overall, I think that because of kicking off when they do, everything hits really nicely. I and mean, you couldn't do these stories if they had done more of a time skip. And the scene with Mateo in the immigration uh, detention center, I think, is really, really good um, and really affecting. And I like how they don't overplay that because we're going to be spending, I think, hopefully a lot of time with that concept and with this setting to a certain degree. And I really want them to kind of build up and really do good commentary work on that. So I really liked this premiere. I thought it was funny. I appreciated the fact that they honestly thought that that robot was going to die. And then it just got right back up. I was just like, oh, sweet babies. That's not how this works. Mm -hmm. Well, it is in real life. But I mean, not with a Cloud 9.0 robot. Um, Not with Glenn. Not with Glenn. Um, so, no, I really like that. And I also just like the joke about Cloud9 charging people two ninety nine for an app. And I just went, oh, that's so perfect. <laughs> what did you think? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a good premiere. And I, I think the tone, uh, the tone balance, like especially the tonal shift when we go to the t- detention center, was handled really well. Um, I liked the stuff we were getting with Cheyenne. I thought hey, making her sort of the center of that made sense and really fit with her character and and where everybody would be at. I liked the continued tension with uh, uh, Dina and with uh, Garrett that, you know, again, it's only been a few days. Like for us, it's been months, but it's only been a few days. So it makes sense that they are still at the place that they're at for that. Um, Glenn, (laughs) Glenn freaking out about Glenn taking his wife, taking Jerusha was just appropriately (laughs) daffy and in character for him. And, I think um, while I do expect better from Jonah and like after you mentioned, of course, Garrett, um, it is irritating that no one considered like, especially because it has to charge in the break room. Yeah. Like, like they should be smarter than that and more aware than that. And I mean, they're obviously very distracted and um, upset about, about Mateo. So that could be keeping them off their game, but hopefully it's something that won't get dragged out too long. Um, but, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully. But I mean, this is one of the shows that I'm just really excited about what they're going to do this season. Definitely. I, I, I trust them to stick with this Mateo storyline. And I'm sure that they went into the season with a very clear idea of how they want to handle that. 
Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, what about Mom and its premiere? Audrey Hepburn and a jalapeno pepper. I think one of the things I love most about Mom is the fact that this is a premiere, and it feels like it could have just been episode seven at the same time of being episode one of this season because literally it's not a big deal about anything. Um, and I really, really like that. Bonnie goes on her honeymoon. Uh, she has a freak out because she hasn't gone to a meeting in a few days. And she goes to a meeting in their, like, vacation town where they're going out and meets Kate McCucci, who's a recovering addict and who's now her sponsee, sponsee, sponsory. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, Kate McCucci's going to start recor- recurring on this show in some fashion. And I'm so excited about what that's going to do when she finally comes from this little vacation town into um whatchamacallit into napa and anna ferris and kate mccucci have a scene together and i'm just like it's gonna be so good it's just gonna be the best um so but it's also it was also an opportunity to see kate mccucci do something a little bit outside of her typical wheelhouse which i really really appreciated um playing someone who isn't like overly cute but legitimately just is someone who's deeply deeply down on her luck um, in no small part because of the fact that she's unable to maintain her recovery. And so, once again, the episode really drives home the requirement of work to maintain recovery. Um, and at the core of the show, that's always been, like, the best message about it. And I appreciate that they continue to find really good ways to bring that idea forward, Um really consistently and with new people and how that affects them, our main characters, especially of like Bonnie now has a sponsory, um, which is a big deal for Bonnie and will also help her with her recovery. It's the whole point of the program. Um, so I'm really excited about that concept, but again, mom's just at this point, just on its rails and it's not going to change. It's not going to become anything different. Um, so I won't be checking in with it week to week, but because it had its premiere and because Kate Micucci was in it, along with John Ratzenberger. Um, so there was just a lot of really delightful stuff in this episode that I thought was really fun, um, particularly in the Bonnie side. Everything with Christy was just like standard sitcom hijinks of, all right, really well-intentioned person runs the bar. It goes very poorly. Surprise <laughs> type of stuff. But it's still it's still funny because, again, everyone on this show is A, a pro, and B, has been doing this for seven years, and they know how to handle everything. So this was pretty – this was just very good mom is what it boils down to. So I was really happy with it. Oh, very good. Yeah, I always enjoy Kate McCucci. And like you say, it's nice to see her getting to do some different material um, yeah. because she's very good at the thing she gets typecast in. Um, and right. she's very good on DuckTales, but yes. it's nice to see her stretch because I'm sure she's capable of much, much more. So yeah. um, over in drama and genre land over on Netflix, Criminal uh, premiered on Netflix. And this have you heard of this one? This is the one that's in like four different countries. Right, I did hear about this, and um, I was sort of in, sort of thinking about watching it because I was intrigued by that concept, but I just didn't carve out time to watch it because we had Unbelievable this week, and mm-hmm. Unbelievable is not a great show to marathon listeners, spoiler no. alert. Spread it out. But- <laughs> well, I mean, I did marathon it, actually, and it worked for me, but, but, but yeah, know yourself. Yeah, yeah know, know, know yourself. So I didn't have time for a Criminal this week, so why don't you tell me a little bit about what you thought about it? That's the thing. I'm not sure that I do know what I think about it yet because I watched three episodes, but I, that is the entire UK chunk. Uh-huh. I believe, I think it's 12 episodes and there's 
three in four different countries. So there's criminal UK. I think it's Spain, Germany, and France. Um, that sounds right. Yeah. And I, I thought it was four episodes each, but I got to the end of three and it was like, like it, it felt very end of the season-y and also like it, it tried to pop up one of the other countries for me. Um, so I think that it's only three episodes per. I like these episodes. I mean, there's certainly an element of watch for the guest star in it because, of course, you've got uh, David Tennant in one of them and, and Haley Atwell in another one of them. But, um, but yeah, it was solid. It was interesting. I liked the dynamics of the interrogation scene. The whole show, for those who don't know, is set in a police interrogation scene, like in the box. Um, and then there's the cops behind the glass and then there's the the cops interrogating the suspect or witness and then you get some a few shots of things happening you know outside of that like in the in the precinct but it's all within that same location and it's it like standalone episodes and there's some through lines with the police characters um police detectives but it's very much centered on the box and i think that yeah, I mean, as someone who's been not shy about my love of uh, standalone TV, procedural TV, um, it, it was a nice little dose of that and good performances, I thought, and a good amount of suspense about what was happening, even if you can tell pretty quickly what's probably going on just based on the beats of like having watched procedural cop shows. Um, mm-hmm. It was still, I thought executed pretty well, but I don't know how much of an opinion I can give on the show because I haven't watched any of the other countries. And I feel like that's kind of the point. Um, to, right. And so I don't know if it'll, if they, they will each feel different or if they will feel very similar. And this is just straight up Netflix trying to get people to watch things in other languages. Um, so I don't really know. So I, I thought that these episodes, these three episodes were solid. Um, and, you know, can can scratch that longer itch for you um, if you want an interrogation heavy kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I will have to check back if I get some time to watch the next chunk. Because, yeah, I don't know how, what if I can actually give a good opinion on the whole show overall. Um, let's go over to Emergence on ABC. And this is the Elson Tolman genre sci-fi kind of show. But plane crash, serious plane crash that so gets hushed up and cleaned up immediately by a fake government agency and there's a mysterious girl and blah, 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 what's going on um what did you think are you gonna stick with it i may stick with this just because of the alison tolman of it all um right <laughs> she's so good it's it's really borderline ridiculous how good she is in this um mm-hmm. From the scene with the candy with the little girl is just really, really, like, natural. And then her whole scene with the fake parents is just really good. It's, yeah. It's, her scenes with Donald Faison also really good. Right. Her scenes, yeah, her scenes with Faison are really good. And I also really appreciate, speaking of Faison, how they're writing that character mm-hmm. as both antagonistic but also not antagonistic of, like, Right. Yeah, no, this is why we have a custody agreement, but I can see where this is an issue type of thing. And it's just like, oh, we're just going to sidestep the jerk ex-husband thing entirely here, kind of. Oh. Yeah, you can see why they were together. You can see right. why they broke up. You can, like, yes. there's a history there. It feels lived in. It, and certainly yes. a lot of pilots are nowhere near this lived in. No, no. And that's the thing about it is, like, a lot of it just feels really immediately lived in, even if at the same time... I don't care about whatever fire starter alien conspiracy thing is happening on the fringes of this because I don't, I just don't. And it's hard to do that. 
um, when it's just hard because I don't care. But at the same time, it's just like, but I kind of want to watch Alison Tolman figure all of this stuff out. And that's, 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 that's the issue with the show is like, I don't care about the mystery, but I want to watch her figure it out. And I don't know what to do with that dissonance. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's the thing. Like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. I do not care about what's going on on whatever island and who mystery hunky journalist guy is and whether we can trust oh, him. Like, God, I don't care about you. You're from a different show and you're not good. Just go away. That that whole character. Yeah. Um, but because Tolman is so grounded and so... Uh, genuine and authentic and feels is just so good at her job. I do want to see I like I the idea of that performance amongst all the stupid bullshit actually is interesting to me. And yes. of course, I mean, we've mentioned a bunch of other people, but Clancy Brown is terrific, of course. Yes. Um, I don't know enough yet to know what I think about the the young girl, the actress playing Piper. I do like the daughter, though. Um, the daughter's great. Right? Yeah, she's yeah. good. <laughs> and so there, there's like, yeah, a lot of the things around the show, like when you watch these one name or two named spooky mystery, you know, trying to recapture lost kind of shows that that keep getting tried every year usually i don't care about anything besides maybe one or two little threads and probably an actor after the premiere i was like actually i don't know that i think the show is good but yeah tolman is good and she is worth watching and these other things like they might not be hitting it out of the park, but they're getting it much more right than shows usually do. And that makes me want to invest more time in it. Right. And that's kind of where I land is mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing to keep watching this show because all the stuff around the core mystery is actually compelling. And mainly it just boils down to the really good acting that they just save themselves by casting really really well even down to and my partner pointed this out is how they like brown and tolman both have the sort of the like the same sort of mouth shape and Mm -hmm. jawline that goes oh you can see resemblance between people playing parent and offspring and you don't get that a lot on tv sometimes yeah um at least not when they're going to be like a main fixture on the show you do that with a guest spot and it's much easier to manage but now you've got this and it's just like yeah no i can see that they that they're related that's refreshing well and also with brown's physicality and the way he's holding himself too yes yeah i mean all of it like everyone on this show is probably better than the core whatever the core mystery is going to end up being and i'm again i'm kind of okay with that because again we get to see really good people in a relatively low stakes sort of drama doing really good work where they can kind of take swings basically and it doesn't feel wrong that they're taking those swings because it just pushes the show forward as opposed to pushing themselves forward if that makes sense yeah and we already know shadowy billionaire bad guy character that's showing up is going to be played by terry o'quinn yes. who can do that in his sleep and also yes. can elevate material and also is very good working with anyone so he'll be very good with these people like yes. his cast you know so yeah i'm i'm not like excited about it but i am surprised to say i think i'll keep watching for now so we'll see yeah, yeah. um stumptown had its premiere and 
it's exactly what we thought it was going to be. But I had fun. Right? See, everything I just said about emergence, you can also just apply to Stumptown. Yeah. In that, all right, all of these people are having a good time. Mm -hmm. And it comes through despite the fact that this mystery doesn't make any sense um, on a logistics level. Um, It's very stupid. It's deeply, deeply stupid. Um, like it's aggressively stupid, and it's just—it's bad. It's—it's uh, just bad. But everyone's having a good time, and I can't get upset at the show because everyone's having a good time. Like my two big changes about this that I would make, and one of them is basically just a whole retool of this show. So take take this with a grain of salt. Is one you lose the magic take tape deck with the mixtape that's just stuck inside so you can stop doing ironic or overly appropriate needle drops as the situation demands because it's going to get real old real fast and they're going to run out of songs (laughs) right they're going to run out of songs and i think we burn through like most of the tape in this episode you Mm -hmm. can't keep doing this um but at the same time if you just license those songs and you just keep using them then i'm kind of interested in that from a music supervision experiment so maybe keep it and let's see how what you do with it kind of thing. But my biggest issue with this is that this is going to be an origin story season. And I just kind of wanted her to already be a PI as opposed to going through that process. Even if it does mean that we get Donald, uh, Donald, um, Loge. Donald Loge? Um, yeah, playing her mentor. Oh, because he's not in the premiere. <laughs> no, but he's in the preview for the second episode. And I just went, oh my god. It's the Terriers reboot we all wanted. It's happening. It's happening on Stumptown, everyone. It's happening. Um, But yeah, no. So he's playing like the mentor for her to become a PI and do do all her PI work for it. But I'm also just like, maybe she should have just been a PI from the start. So we could have just dived in instead of having her learn the ropes kind of deal. Um, But yeah, I think, again, it's just fun. It's silly. It's, there's, like, virtually nothing here. Um, but I appreciate that they made Portland feel vaguely seedy and unsavory. And I'm interested in them continuing to push that concept. Like, the guy that they cast to play um, the main gangster's type is just, it's real good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, the casting is good <laughs> throughout, I would say. Um yeah, I'm excited about Donald Logue. I didn't realize he was in the mix, so that's neat. Um, I also really like that they just, like, jumped in and were like, no, Dex and Michael Ely are, have already slept together. That's like, let's yeah. just take that off, like, <laughs> move on from there. I do want to know more about Jake Johnson and Dex's, because it's Kobe Smulders, but Dex, I can remember. The other names yeah. I don't really remember. So Jake Johnson and Dex's backstory and what their deal is, I feel like there's going to be something significant there. And I know Johnson and Smulders will nail it when it happens. Um, I like that they did not, at least so far, make it as simple as he's just pining for her, which is what right. usually would happen in this kind of a show. Um, so I, I expect that to be more complicated and more interesting. Um, so we'll, when we get to it, hopefully it, they pay that off in a worthy way. And I also really, I just, I just really need, Noel, I really need him to have a really strong, genuine connection with the brother. And yes. to not just be like, well, because it's, I don't actually care about you other than the fact that your Dex is brother right. special needs brother like uh yeah so like 
I will be, I, I will be really, I would stop watching the show <laughs> if I got any whiff of that, actually. But, um, but no, it's just fun. You know, it, it reminds me very much of one of like a late teens, like Rockford Files would be. And yes. I will watch that all day long. I love yeah. that stuff. That is wheelhouse. That is right in the middle of the Venn diagram for me. Um, and, and, and just Kobe Smulders deserves to be a, a big old TV star as much as anyone does. Um, yeah. so Yeah. No, I, I I I enjoyed this. I look forward to, to this being my new like castle or uh or, or or elementary, but elementary was better, but but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like that kind I of do. like yeah. like procedural fun show I go to every week and you know, every now every three or four episodes one of the o- massively overqualified actors actually gets to stretch a little bit and then they go back yeah. to catching paychecks and having fun. Um, yes. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, it was exactly what I thought. It was no better than I anticipated, which was not very, I did not set a high bar, but, um, but it was just, it had that energy that I was looking for. And I think it like, again, you watch a trailer, this is what you're going to get. And that's what they deliver. Right. And I think that I really appreciate that. That's what we ended up getting was it's like, no, we're not overplaying this. We're not over, we're not overselling this. This is exactly what we're going to do. We are going to downplay at least, the fact that Dex is bisexual at the very least, um, which I really am just like, we're going to do this really matter of factly in her chain of call, her montage call to find someone to go, go sleep with, to deal with her PTSD um, that I really like. Um, And then just also the name of his bar is so good. Like calling your bar in your PI show, bad alibi is just, I'm so here for that. I'm really, really here for that. So, yeah, I think that this is definitely something that is high degree of procedural fun comfort food um, that I'm very here for um, and will help make up for the general sort of wasteland that is this new broadcast season. Um, so I'm excited about it, at least in so far as this will be something really good to turn on and feel like I'm going to get something, a really consistent sort of product, basically. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, you said comfort food, and that takes us right to the Great British Bake Off, and they had Dairy Week. Now, listeners, obviously, my review went up last week for this one. I gave it an A. I really like this episode. Did I overhype it for you? I was worried that I did. A smidge, but I still think that this is a really good episode. Um, I think that the challenges are all really good. I think having them do a, um, whatchamacallit, uh, culture dairy cake is a fun sort of challenge of that I think push them, which is a little surprising because I figured that this at least by now would be a little more common than apparently it comes off as. Yeah, um, I grew up having those like pretty regularly as coffee yeah. cake, like and then a butter right. can and everything, like on Sundays and things. So I, yeah, the notion that this is unusual was very strange, or like somehow a challenge and difficult was very strange to me. Yeah, no, it was to me as well. I just went, no, this all seems really, really, this seems pretty, this seems pretty normal. And I'm a little flummoxed by how kind of lost in the weeds a couple of people said that they were prior to like doing the practice of it. Though I was also just like, why are you all using the same cake pan? pan? Why? <laughs> like, is there, were there no other cake pans? Um, I know that you get those good crevices and it looks real nice, but we can use other cake pans, everyone. Um... I enjoyed the technical. Thank you for doing like a period technical. Um, I thought that was really fun. Um, I I just 
I I think that there was some inconsistency in the in the judging for that because some of those people did do actual roses and saying that one person who did a rose didn't do a rose and then the other person who also did a rose did a rose but they also looked basically the same was really frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but also you just didn't give them a stencil and I don't know what you expect them to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they don't necessarily have a lot of experience with stenciling and powder sugar like if you looked at henry's stencil and then you googled tudor rose it looks just like it but yes exactly like he just isn't an artist so he didn't know you need to do like little cutouts of where the lines were because the overall outline like when you could see the other inner lines on his stencil it looked just right but because there was no cutout for that they didn't get the powdered sugar through it so it didn't look like he didn't look right, but they should have given them a stencil if it was yeah. that important. And that's literally my only thing about it is to just like, you just need to give them a stencil for this part. And I just then... thought they needed more time. Yeah, no, that is the other thing. And like my partner also pointed that out. I was just like, this doesn't seem like enough time for this at all. I mean, um, to make it if you know what you're doing, absolutely. But they don't yeah. know, like very actively and very predictably, they don't know what they're doing. So they needed more time. Yeah, I think even just an extra half hour probably would have been mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. And they would have all been, they all wouldn't have been fine because I think this is still a really kind of difficult sort of technical because it's not something you see a lot, even though it is basically sort of like an egg tart almost, but not quite. Um, so I think that there's, they just needed like a little bit more space. Um the showstopper, I thought, was just really delightful. I really appreciate them doing um, sort of a confectionery type mm-hmm. of challenge with this. And also doing mishti, I thought, was also really, really good. Um, even if it does allow them to do a whole range of things. Um, but I just thought, like, a lot of it was just really fun. And I really appreciated just the range of stuff that we got in this. And I really, that was, I think, my favorite thing about the showstopper is we're going to do, like, a whole range of stuff. And it's all going to work. And I really, in concept, basically, is what I mean. Um, so I was I was generally pretty happy with this episode. But it was just maybe a little overhyped. Just a smidge, though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I thought that, you know, a few things. What I really enjoyed about the episode, I did also really enjoyed the technical, though I thought they needed a little extra time. Yeah. Um, I I thought that the, um, the Mishti, I mean, that was clearly the reason they did this episode right they're like we want to do mishti how can we make that let's do dairy week and that will be you know our thing now the the signature for the next week's episode is a custard Mm -hmm. tart why isn't a custard tart your signature for dairy week guys instead of being like make a cake but this time there's buttermilk in it like I mean, come on. There's there's yeah. been way too many make a cake <laughs> kind of showstoppers, and that's next week's episode's showstopper is make a cake. Um, and so so that is a little, you know, disappointing. But um, I thought they looked really pretty. I thought they did a good job with those. The uh, the the Mishti were great, and really showed so much range of the yes. different bakers. You know that I I thought that was really neat, and, and they also looked really cool. They looked like. The visually, like yeah. they were very showstoppery. That worked well for that because they've. I feel like this set of bakers has had some trouble with the showstoppers. I agree. So um, I thought that that worked well. But I also sort of. I'm not going to lie. I'm glad that they're having problems with showstoppers mm-hmm. because it prevents the judges from giving too much weight to the showstoppers, which has been an issue with the show for the past few seasons now. 
Okay. And if the showstoppers aren't the best, or, like, it means that you have to, like, give the other two aspects of the weekend a little bit more weight and, like, factor them into your decision-making as opposed to, oh, yeah, no, the showstopper saved them. No, stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. More on that next week. Oh, good. Great. I'll see you. Great. Still Great. have the same <laughs> thought on that next week. Um, anyways, back to this week. Back to Dairy Week. What I Part of why I really enjoyed this episode is I thought that this was the first episode where I really clicked with Prue as a judge. Like, the way yeah. she just starts giggling when stuff is really delicious is yeah. so charming. <laughs> um, I thought Noel and Sandy were particularly great. Like, the exchanges between the different bakers and them was was, was, was hilarious and delightful and fun. And um, you know, they bring their own tone to the show compared to Mel and Sue, but that felt more Mel and Sue-like, you know, mm-hmm. the banter. And yeah. I also just, like, I mean, Henry was just delivering on the 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 comedy beats, like yeah, like the whole and like the the Steph and Henry stuff was great, and the like just these different <laughs> entendres, double, single, triple entendres, and and just like the energy in the tent. I think we're far enough in, we're enough weeks in that they're all excited and intimidated but also like it this is what they're doing now you know they're able to be in it more um because yeah. it's, it's enough of a routine and and they're comfortable with each other the bakers are so we're getting a lot of really great interactions and and it was fun before and obviously this is the kind of vibe of a show where people like run over to help each other as soon as they can like even the first week you know but but I, f- I feel like they've gelled in a really nice way at this point. So there's a lot of really fun interactions as well. And just like the, like just Henry's thing when he's like stirring his custard, <laughs> she's like, I don't know how to make the pastry. I don't know how to make the curd. I don't know how to make the other curd help. <laughs> it's just, it was, it just like, just like deadpan, just like stirring. It was just great. Um, thoughts on this. They should have some form of a blast chiller available. Yes, the whole point is that they're at home bakers. However, when you're at home, if it's a hot day, that doesn't destroy your bake because you're not outside. Yeah, no, I do think that I, my partner actually asked me about this because she read your review before we watched the episode and I chastised her for that. <laughs> and then she went, but I didn't read the last last couple of paragraphs, so I don't know who won. And I just went, it's the principle of the thing. You read Kate's reviews after we watch. That's, That's how sweet. this works. <laughs> um, but no, so she actually mentioned this about the blast chillers. And no, I absolutely agree that they should have a blast chiller. Um, in no small part because, like you said, like, it's hot in that tent and they should have one, especially if they're going to do things like what they have to do here or they want to do as well. Um, I do think that it then creates an issue of like, there are going to be too many blast chillers in that tent. Yeah. Uh, and like um, even just having like a one big one, I think yeah. would be enough. But like when you're at home baking, there aren't 10 ovens heating up right. the space. There's a oven. So, I mean, I just, I, I feel like no, that's I think that there should be a blast chiller. Um, and so, yeah, no, there should be a blast chiller. And um, to your other point about like the entendres and the dry humor, no, this episode is really, really funny. And listeners, to peel back the curtain a little bit, Kate did not initially get the have you ever had a maid of honor um, conversation that uh, someone had with Sandy. And when I sent it to her, she just went, 
Oh, I get it now. Well, I, I, I got it, but I didn't get yeah. it on the, you know, the full extent. Because, like, when I yeah. saw it written, I was like, oh, uh-huh. obviously. Yes, <laughs> obviously. but I mean. But I I was furiously taking notes, everyone. I was trying to, like, write everything down. So, you know. I and that's super fair. But, like, Sandy is trying not to crack real hard in that sequence. I urge you to go back and watch it. <laughs> because Sandy no, I, is. As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, yep. Yep, I can see it. I can visualize yeah. it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because she's trying so hard not to break, but she's grinning out off the side of one side of her mouth because she's just like, oh, you just, you just set this up for me. You just set it up so good. And I'm, I'm just going to deadpan it and it's going to be amazing. And it was, it was so good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we will have more on Bake Off next week for the Roaring Twenties week. Um, But in the meanwhile, what wins your week in TV? So much to pick from this week, um, but I think I'm going to give it to the Superstore premiere um, this week. I think wins my week in TV. I was really glad to have it back, and it was a pretty solid episode, apart from their um, plot-mandated stupidity, read the robot. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, of these, I'll give it to Bake Off, I think, because I, I did really enjoy that episode. Um, but there's there's a number of really entertaining ones and surprises, too, which is always fun. Um, I'll also mention I did enjoy the Unicorn premiere very much. I will be back for that. And I saw the beginning of Evil, and I'm not fully on board yet, but given your strong thoughts on this, I'm sure when I finish watching it, I will have the premiere. I will have more to say. Yeah. So we'll ch- check in with that maybe next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Like I said, I don't think that this is a particularly good pilot because mm-hmm. it's a little clunky, but I do think that there's almost certainly a good show here Okay. once it gets done with its pilot. And once it stops relying on its good wife scoring. I have thoughts on that, listeners, yeah. for another time. Yeah. For another time. In the meanwhile, let's take a break, <laughs> listen to a trailer, and come back to talk about Netflix's Unbelievable. This is hard, but I need to ask you some questions about what happened. He tied my hands. He said if I screamed, he'd kill me. No signs of forced entry. Doors and windows were locked. No DNA. Not a single neighbor saw or heard a thing. He brought a blindfold, but nothing to tie her with. Would a shoelace even hold her? Do you think Marie made up the attack? I'm pretty positive that it happened. Pretty positive or positive. They just kept asking me the same question. How come your story doesn't add up? I wanted to go home. I don't have a victim here. It's bogus. She made it up. Victims are all over the map. 
old, young, different races, so he doesn't have a type. Sure he does, women who live alone. This guy is out there, preying on the most vulnerable women he can find. Where is the outrage? That was the trailer for Netflix's Unbelievable, which is, of course, the miniseries or, or eight-episode limited series, whatever you want to call it, uh, one-off uh, show on Netflix about the uh, a series of uh, investigations and a, a woman who was uh, who was raped and then um, not believed and charged with uh, false reporting, and simul- then then later exonerated when uh, two detectives stayed over, caught a serial rapist, and found evidence that uh, validated her story for the public record. Um, And uh, verified, that's what I was looking for, verified her her story on the public record. So so this is a based on true, this is a uh, true crime uh, procedural, this, this is a true crime story and it features a bunch of actresses we really like this has been highly buzzed about including by me um so noel what did you think of unbelievable was it uh did it did it live up to these expectations that we now have for stories of this type no it definitely did um i think that this is just a really well acted um colette and weaver have just an immense amount of chemistry um, and that just helps the show really chug along. But I also think that it's really well written and, um, there's just a really good sense of quiet outrage across the entire season, which I really, really appreciate how the show is able to construct that, um, without overdoing it in a lot of ways. Um, and so I just, it's really, really good. It's really thoughtful. Um, their decision to deviate from both the book and some of the reporting's emphasis on, um, the rapist, I also think is really, really smart from a television standpoint and from a coherent, cohesive perspective approach. As much as I think it is useful in the book, it's not needed here. And I'm glad that that is just completely scuttled um, with the adaptation. So I think that it's just really, really good. And I'm very eager to dig in a bit more with it. But I just, this is just really, really good. And I think everyone should go watch it. Yeah, it's really good. Go watch it. Done. Yeah. Hey, we finished early. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right. Let's, let's go. <laughs> well, one of the things I wanted to make sure we talk about, and so let's start with that, is uh, Caitlin Deaver's performance. Because I feel like yes. because they're such bigger names, more people are talking about Tony Collette and Merritt Weavers, um, part of the show, which we will get you. It's fantastic. But Caitlin Deaver was the reason for me watching this. And I think that she is terrific in her scenes. Um, and, and she often has to play really nuanced, difficult scenes as well. Like that's, you have to, I mean, a big part of this show, and certainly the premiere, rests on people understanding why 
people didn't like the viewers understanding why people were off put by her story or why they didn't understand. And I think that obviously this is a different landscape around sexual assaults and believing survivors than when this actually happened in the what early aughts. Yes. 2008. Uh, is 2008. When, okay. When the Deaver um, story for around uh, Marie occurs. Occurs. Sorry. In my head, it was 2003, but 2008. Um, so it's, it's 10 years on. And I think that it would be handled in a different way now. Um, eh. But I, <laughs> true yeah you're right you're right you're right i'm wrong on that um but i think that they the show it felt like the show went out of their way to make you understand that obviously they were completely wrong uh, and horrifically wrong but they were human like the the the, the foster moms who were just confused and also in denial about what had happened. And I think that the same is true of the cops as infuriating as they are in the, that part of the story. And it's such a great contrast. Then when you meet in the second episode, our heroes <laughs> of the story, you know, it's such, it's a, such a powerful, impactful contrast. Um, but I think that, with all the trauma she's experiencing and trying to, and just trying and just trying to live her life, the Caitlin Deaver performance and that, that character, she, Marie, she really is, I mean, she's closed off. She's isolated. She's in pain. She's trying to just hold on. Um, and she also just feels very real and very, yeah, very, very lived in at the same time. Uh, it was, a, it was a terrific performance. It is. And I think that it's, great that she finally that we found a project in which Caitlin Deaver is finally going to be widely recognized mm -hmm. um since you and I and plenty of other people loved her and justified and then just went great she's got such a bright future ahead of her she's, she's making that spend... ABC money <laughs> yeah she's gonna just stock up making money on last man standing mm -hmm. um not getting to do a whole lot but she's gonna earn some money and now she can do this and hopefully she's going to be out there a lot more because again she was fantastic and justified we all knew that that watched her unjustified and now it's like great here's real good proof everyone mm -hmm. <laughs> cast her please thank you yes um, and I think that that's, that's what I'm most excited about, but I think that you're absolutely correct. Like the performance is really layered, especially, um, in the, in that first episode where we do have to rely on her, um, from, like you said, being closed off, but, um, also just how the show does her hair, her clothes, her makeup to tell us how young she is. And then when we skip ahead in the last couple episodes to 2011, um, Marie, and suddenly it looks like Caitlin Deaver, what the Caitlin Deaver looks like now, but you can still see all those tracing elements of Marie Adler from 2008 here as well. And I think that there's just such a real through line between both iterations of this character, for want of a better word, that it's just powerhouse type stuff from um, Deaver in terms of yeah we know we know Claude and Weaver can do this kind of stuff 
no problem. They're both real good, don't get me wrong. But it's one of those things where this is, like, star-making sort of turn here. Um, And I do agree with you that there's a real sympathy for, in terms of everyone else around her, in terms of how they react and how they respond. Um, And that helps. But I also think that one of the larger sort of frustrations of the first couple episodes is the lack of systemic critique that's not quite as strong that should be there. It's there, but I don't necessarily think it's as potent as it should be. Um, But I do think that you at least get that button hit home a little harder on in a subtler way when um, the detective that picks up her case meets um, Rasterman Mm -hmm. in Colorado and (laughs) just goes, yeah, it is a lot of paperwork, asshole. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. what police work looks like. Maybe you should try it sometime. Um, That that critique comes forward there, but for me, it just needed to be there sooner, that kind of societal thing. And you mentioned both of her foster parents, uh, foster moms. And again, like there's still a systemic issue there that the show just doesn't have doesn't want in terms of because of where they want to put their focus which is on character and which is then on sort of the procedural beats of catching him um that there's not necessarily space for that and while i want that i also acknowledge and appreciate the fact that the show doesn't necessarily need it either to be effective um and i think that's kind of where i land on it is like yes they make mistakes, but also these mistakes are baked into a system. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of like my thing. And that's kind of where like, I missed the book a little bit where they just, again, like I said, chronicle the history of rape discourse. And it just shows you how embedded it is, but I've been monologuing. So I want to stop before I start repeating myself. (laughs) And, you know, I think because there is a level of understanding and, Um, like you said, empathy for the people around Marie, what that allows is it allows you to put yourself with them. So this didn't happen because everybody around her was a terrible person. Right. You know, and, and, and it also, it's, it encourages you then if you are experiencing, like if you are, if you are on the periphery of someone else's experience and their, their trauma, don't be, don't be them, right? They're yeah. well-meaning, but look at all the damage they inflicted on this person yeah. that they care about, or this like in their community for the for the police officers, and yeah. and look at your biases and you know cautionary tale. Um, so I think that that is effective as well. Though I do agree that you know for me the critique is there in the just the contrasting. Of yeah. the styles, but you're no, right. It's, it is yeah. not a systemic critique. It is a specific this right. cop versus that cop. Yes. Yeah. It's a one for one sort of thing that, again, they drive home when he comes to Colorado um, yeah. to look over everything. And also how he talks to her, how he talks to Rossman on the phone when she first contacts him about it. Um, Even it just showing. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Even just showing his response to it um, creates that one for one. But go ahead. You know, for me, even just showing how Merritt Weaver's character talks to her survivor. Yes. 
just that scene in the car yeah tells you everything that you need to know about the these two different detectives and how a tone or a choice of words or a like allowing a person to sit in a car so that if you if they look at you it's to the side and it's not full front on right the impact that can have in helping someone with trauma but also specifically in being able to do her job and being able to get information and 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 process the scene and you know get things moving on this investigation right away um yeah so so but again that's a one for one thing not a larger systemic critique yeah which you're not going to get like you were saying in a eight episode show that's also trying to do all these other things Right. And I think that there's enough of a critique built into sort of the bizarreness of the judicial system in terms of her inability to grasp and anyone else's inability to grasp what is happening to her um, from the court, the ticket basically going to the wrong address, the summons going to the wrong address um, because it's five years out of date and no one updated it. And here you go. Now you've got a massive fine and a warrant. Um, and just those little things and how those things pile up and add on to the stress of this. So it's there. It just never feels as explicit as I want sometimes or like a strong through line. But again, it it's not interested in that. And I need to like get over it to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. It wants to be very subtle and matter of fact about it as opposed to a little more... I would prefer slightly preachier, I guess. <laughs> more biting, um, yeah. More didactic. Yeah. More didactic, yes. Thank you. Uh, that's a much better way of saying <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's move over to the detective part of the yeah. sh- of the story of the show. Um, I really liked how they spaced it out. So, like, the first episode is basically the Caitlin Deaver episode, and the second episode is kind of the Merritt Weaver episode, and adding in with the, the Marie storyline. And then the third episode is when you get Tony Collette. I thought the way they rolled that out worked really well, and I really enjoyed the contrast that we got right away between those two. And just, like, yes, it's based on true, but also you're just watching this going, like, Oh, when are they gonna? When are they gonna? When are they gonna meet up? It's gonna be so cool! It's gonna be so cool when they meet up. It's like almost like a crossover, yeah, <laughs> like a comic book show. Um, it was so, it was so, uh, well, it was just very well written and directed to get that feeling in the in the viewer. But um, it was so satisfying then when they did, when they're like, you know your stuff. I'm working with that person. That person's really good. <laughs> they are really good, and they're not you, Morris. They take the time to do things, Morris. Poor yeah, Morris. <laughs> like I'm not gonna apologize for being a tough boss. You, yeah, you wouldn't. You know, like again, there's so yeah. much, there's so much layered into into these scenes around gender, yes. around power, around procedure, and they just don't even take the time. Like it's there, but yeah, we're busy doing this other story. So if you want to examine that, you would do that on your own time, viewer, and it's great. Yes, yeah, no, it is. Um, so no, I I appreciate the slow the slow kind of rollout, and I appreciate how. I mean, both of these women, as they're presented in the book, are also very different from one another, but still ended up working really well together despite those things. Um, and because of those things, also to a large degree. And I appreciate how they sort of gel and do 
work together and how their respective personalities um, create a environment where shit gets done, but also where there's that room for mentoring that is an undercurrent there and also how uncomfortable that made Rosterman. <laughs> um, but at the same time, then don't show up with a pack of cards to play Jen Rummy to distract her if you're not going to mentor. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're doing you're doing the job, so don't be surprised when you get called out on it. And also when you're being like, I got 30 other things to do, so yeah, no, they don't need me, and you're just doing it to get, make sure that she gets the accolades, basically, because you've got... 20 something more years 15 something more years on one detective over another oh hmm. so cute yeah <laughs> yeah there was a lot of there were a lot of uh, fun moments like that uh, the the camaraderie amongst the characters in the different departments was fun to see and when it was supportive and when it was um we like and especially because you could tell like that once is it morris who really wants a pat on the head for doing yeah. a good job that and, and just doesn't get it and like it's like you could just hear the the more sad trombone versus at the end you know it's like one of these days, Morris, you're going to get an attaboy, and it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, but you know who already got an attaboy, Morris? The intern did. The <laughs> intern got one before you did, Morris. Because <laughs> he does his job. <laughs> oh, good times. Delightful. Um, what should we talk about next? Um, I, You know, you already mentioned the downplaying of the the rapist story. Yes. I didn't realize that that was a more significant part in the book. I'm, I completely agree. It had no place here. I really yeah. appreciate that. It, it wasn't given any time. I thought that was appropriate and, and fitting. Um, what did you think of the timelines? Were you able to keep track of what was happening? I mean, obviously you'd read the book, but were you able to keep track of what was happening when that was somewhat challenging for me? No, I thought it was generally okay. I do I do think that they should have been a little clearer about, at least early on, when they were flipping back between uh, 2011 Colorado and 2008 um, Washington State. Because um, sometimes they just sort of relied on, this is what Marie looks like to establish when we were. Um, and I don't know that that was totally valuable, and they did it really consistently. So I think that's just a problem, but... I never really had an issue with it. I know, like, my partner kind of looked at me and went, wait, are we cross-cutting between past and present? Because that's interesting mechanically, but it's also a little confusing. Um, and I do, think that's, I do think that's fair. And it's even, like, a little confusing in the book, but the book also, like, in the chapter headings provides you a date every time you go into a new chapter. Um, so I think that that's, that's useful. Um to kind of circle back to the rapist, though, since you were talking about it, one of the things that I am a little disappointed in is that they don't go into his degree of exploitation um, in terms of some of the stuff he did, including, like, he actually had a number of porn websites where he did post these pictures um, really consistently online to make side money, basically. Um, some of those um, panties were sold to other people over the internet, and to this day, we still don't know what's on that other hard drive. Yeah, that's really hard, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's I just assumed it had to be true, you know, since it's based on no, truth. No, it is. Since, since they didn't resolve it and the thing was like, oh, I bet no. we still don't know. And yeah. No, we don't. He refuses to provide the password for it to this day. He just doesn't, he won't ever give it up. And it's basically CIA level encryption. Mm -hmm. So you will, no one will ever be able to break into it. Yeah. And it's like, it's filled with stuff. Yeah. And it's horrifying. So, yeah. 
Yeah, because he had no trouble admitting to all the rapes. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, to to sort of make light of it in theory of like, my person um, turned to me and goes, you know, this guy is just like, oh, I wish I had done all of this sooner. So I could have been a mine hunter. <laughs> God. Oh, mind hunter. Mind hunter. <laughs> Lovely, cheerful viewing we've had these last few weeks. Yeah, no. What are we doing next week that isn't depressing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get... Are we doing the dark next week? No, we're, we're not, not doing, doing the dark next week. No, <laughs> no, we are not. We are not doing that one. Um, I thought that um, I wanted to mention the shooting. I thought that the use of space was really good. I, I yes. liked the contrast of... like you could really feel the contrast of time between the Marie stuff and the cop stuff, um, even just in the geography of where they were filming, which I thought was, was interesting and nice. I liked the, the, I thought there was enough and well-executed contrasting of our two detectives, like in their off time and their family lives, these sort of things. I was curious, but not uh, frustratedly. So um, about what was going on in their home lives and I liked that some some of the things felt like they paid off and some of the things felt like they didn't. Some felt resolved and some felt unresolved. And I thought that, yeah, just the the pacing and the energy of the episodes, it felt just very sure-handed. Yeah, even if, like, they have varying run times as Netflix dramas want to do, but everything generally felt... Everything was under an hour, which was nice. <laughs> um, but even when they sort of like pushed into like 55 minutes, it was just like, it was still, it felt appropriate to everything they wanted to do within that episode, which I really, really appreciate. It wasn't, there wasn't any point in which I went, you could have split this or you could have shuttled this to a different episode. Everything felt of a piece of that hour for one of a duration. Everything worked. And I really, really appreciate that in a space where things are just kind of getting a little amorphous uh, with run times. But I just, it's just really good. It's just really sharp. And the only other like real downside I have, and this is one that um, Caitlin Deaver shares, is that she doesn't get to act with Mary Weaver or Tony Collette, and it's devastating. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> She was on Seth uh, Meyers last week and talked about this of like, yeah, no, I got to meet them. I didn't get to act with them. And it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, like, oh, yeah, that's super fair. That's mm-hmm. super fair. Very fair. Well, hopefully future projects. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of talk of, about um, Emmy Buzz, specifically for Merritt Weaver, but um, for several of these performances. Uh, the last thing I feel like we do need to talk about and we'll at least I hope we'll keep it somewhat brief because it's a hard topic is I thought that the way that they filmed the rape scenes was extraordinarily well handled and very based on the experience of the survivors. And because of that, it didn't, it felt like you were being shown what you needed to, to understand their experience and where they're at and what they were enduring. It didn't feel like you were being shown an exterior perspective to shock, to horror, to, to, to terrorize, to uh, titillate. Um, it didn't feel like, well, we have to tell you what happened. No, you don't need to know that. You need to know what they experienced. And I, I would hope that that more shows take this tack in future. Um, because I thought it was very impactful, very effective, very 
honest and truthful um, in a way that sometimes just setting up a camera and showing like an external perspective is not. Right. No, I think that that's probably the show's biggest success overall Mm -hmm. um, is that I think like this idea of external versus internal is really, really important. And it's also the show's one real nod to formalism in a lot of ways of like, this is a really kind of, it's a well shot show, but it's also very sort of clearly shot show as well. There's not a lot of like, chiaroscuro lighting Mm -hmm. and we're really benefiting from the fact that there are a lot of open glass conference rooms in our police station this kind of stuff i mean there's those kinds of pushes in this show um but there's no and a high gloss sort of an approach but that's that just feels standard for prestige dramas and cable dramas and whatever you want now but this sort of how they depict the rape, like you said, is sort of an, an internal experiential sort of experience. I think it's just really smart um, because it becomes so grounded in a sense of subjectivity without, like you said, feeling exploitative, without feeling titillating um, is really important when you're trying to handle these kinds of stories with care. Um and I think when you're, especially when you're trying to represent that visually, um, I think it's just really, really important that you avoid that. Um, the book goes in like the opposite direction in terms of it's a very dry, borderline clinical description, a uh, very police report, almost uh, journalistic um, description of the rapes, which I find very harrowing to read because of how very matter of fact they are um which is like one of the things that hit me most about the book um because both of these both of the writers for the book are professional journalists and they're not going to embellish in that kind of a sense um but i think that that works really well there because again it avoids an exploitative sort of approach as well so there's a through line between the source material and this adaptation of it they just approach it differently because of how what their mediums are i really really appreciate that um, and I think that that makes all the difference in how we convey trauma in a way that feels both scary and horrifying and terrible, but also scarring. And I think that's really the important thing is that the scarring, especially when we go talk to some of the other survivors, um, and we just get quick flashes, um, of where those scars are whereas with marie we get a more prolonged sort of experience which is appropriate because it's fresher and i think that all of that culminates in really one of the baddest best one of the best sort of representations that i how you can handle this and like you said how it should should be a template for handling this kind of stuff going forward yeah i I agree. Everyone, if you're up for it, go watch Unbelievable. And if you're not, that's okay, too. Just Uh know uh that there's uh lots of good performances. So hopefully people will cast these very talented people in lots of other projects. Yeah. And I mean, in Tony Collette's case, she already has. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And Mary Weaver's not on The Walking Dead anymore. So she's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she's got, you know, she's got some, some, some Emmys and such already, but she'll just keep getting more. I enjoy watching her profile raise and, 
um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens next Emmys. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find us an Apple podcast with an M4A chapter feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.